Good morning, everyone. I'm Jensen Kalua, and I am part of the preaching team here at Wellspring Church. Um, for the last few weeks, we've been going over a series titled At the Table, God's Hosting, and You're Invited. There's something profound about tables for me personally. Um, when I lived in Hilo with my grandma, I had to be home at 5.30 every evening if I wanted to eat dinner. And no matter what I was doing, I'd be playing pickup basketball, football, surfing, whatever. I was there at 5.30 because grandma cooked really good. <laughs> and my cousins in Hilo, they all live close by too. So if you weren't there at 5.30, you're not going to get food either. She wasn't going to make something else. She was going to make what was there. And at the table, we talked about our day. We talked about everything that has happened, everything going on in our lives. And it's just something special about that. And so this series really hits home in a lot of different ways. You know, we have different settings of tables um, God's inviting us to. Um, this week, um, I titled my sermon, uh, The Table of Conquest. And at one end of the table, we see Joshua, and he's planning to take over Jericho. And he's just being installed as the leader of Israel. And I don't know how nervous he was, but throughout the first chapter, He's been reminded over and over and over again to be strong and courageous, to be strong and very courageous. And I wondered about that, like what was going on in his mind and his heart during that time. And as I was reading this week, I see that the people said, as we have followed Moses, we will follow you too. Like, if I was Joshua, I'd be like, oh boy, yeah, right. Yeah, right. We're going to do everything you say, we promise. Oh God, I need you right now. I need you. So that's why I think God kept reminding him to be strong and courageous, not, not because they're going to be battling armies of tens of thousands and taking over cities and whatnot, probably because he's going to be battling within quite often. And I mean, if I was Joshua, that's what I'd be worried about. Um, so at the table, he's sitting there. God is giving him instructions. He's telling him, okay, this is everything you're going to do. And at the other end of the table of conquest, we see Rahab. We go from Joshua, the young protege, upcoming leader, and we have Rahab, who is known as an innkeeper or a prostitute or a harlot. Now, some um, translations or uh, the Hebrew word for harlot or prostitute basically kind of meant like an innkeeper. Um, if you go to Hebrews 11, where they reference her in, um, as in the Hall of Faith, it basically said that she was indeed a prostitute. And I say that not to demean her or anything like that, but I say that as an example of God's grace and his mercy and his power of using someone with such a status to not only save the spies in Jericho, as we will see later, but ultimately being in the line of Christ and, and all these great things. So this is the setting at the table. Moses planning... Uh, to conquer Jericho and God with another agenda planning to conquer the heart of Rahab. Um, before we go any further, I just want to open in prayer. Father, we just thank you for this day, Lord. We are humbled that we can come into your fellowship, that we can fellowship with one another and sit at your table and hear your word. God, I pray that you would speak to us and that our hearts would be receptive to your word and our ears would hear your voice loud and clear. In Jesus' name, amen. I was joking earlier that uh, I'm a Denver Bronco fan, and they play in 12 minutes and 27 seconds. 
that if I go a little too early in the middle of my sermon, I'm just going to close in prayer. <laughs> and then Kimmy, Kimmy gave me an elbow to the ribs. I'm like, nah, I can't do that right now. But uh, I turned my Wi-Fi off, so I don't get any alerts on this right now. So if I go, Rico, if I go past 25, 10, 25, it's all good, bro. <laughs> um, in Joshua chapter 1, as I said earlier, God has let um, Joshua know all these things that's going to happen. And I forgot to put the text in on the note, so I'm going to reference to it. I'm going to paraphrase it. God promised Joshua a handful of things. First, he said, I will give you every place you set foot. Every place you set foot will be yours. No one will be able to stand against you, which doesn't mean that no one will oppose you, but no one will be able to stand and be successful against you. And he gives these encouraging words, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will be with you wherever you go. Then he says towards the end, you will be prosperous and successful wherever you go, which leads to the first reflection question. What areas in your life do you need to be more strong and courageous in? Is it reaching out to someone, sharing Christ with someone? Is it taking on new challenges in your life? Is it shifting what's going on in your life? What areas in your life do you need to be strong and courageous in? Now let's uh, transition to Rahab and the spies. And we'll pick up the text there in Joshua chapter 2, verses 1 to 24. Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly set out two spies from Shittim. Go, look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. The king of Jericho was told, Look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab. Bring out the men who came to you and entered your house, because they have come to spy out the whole land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, yes, men came to me, but I did, I did not know where they had come from. At dusk, it was time to close the city gate. They left. When it was time to close the city gate, they left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You may catch up with them. But she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax and she had laid out on, that she had laid out on the roof. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan. And as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. Fourth reflection question. I forgot to put it there in the second one. When is it okay to lie? When is it okay to lie? I'm not going to answer that question right now. But it's something that you guys can talk about. I did hear a commentary by someone that said, at that moment, Rahab was set with two different decisions. One was to lie and, and hide the, the men of God. Or the other one was to just present these two spies to the king of Jericho and had them slaughtered. So this is what she had to weigh. So in, in that instance, for her, it was okay to lie. But when in your life is it okay to lie? It was kind of a random one, but it... It begs the question that some people think that, you know, there are certain times and opportunities, or well, opportunities, but um, moments in which 
Okay, we're going to close in prayer right now. Okay, like I said earlier, you guys answered that question. <laughs> but uh, going on, verse 8. Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and she said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that great fear of you has fallen on us. I need to use glasses. First time I'm ever using glasses on the pulpit. I was... Uh, talking to Kimmy earlier and I couldn't see the announcements and I thought that reading glasses meant like you can read everything no matter where they're at and I'm like I put the glasses on and it's even more blurry and she's like yeah you got to go to the doctor so yeah the, the font changed on me on this one so <laughs> um we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did at Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard, when we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord, God is God in heaven above and on earth below. We see here there's testimonies of what God had done previously through the Israelites. And I like what she says here. Um, she says, first of all, in verse 8, I know that the Lord has given you this land. I know. It's a personal thing. Later on, she says, we heard of all these things and our hearts melted. So she's distinct, distinguishing herself from the rest of the people of Jericho. In other words, we're all scared. We all know about God. But she believed in God at that moment. She believed him so much that she was willing to, to sacrifice her own life by hiding, by lying and hiding the spies. That was a moment of change in her life. So we see here there's testimonies of everything that God has done. And at this moment, she goes from knowing about God or she shares from knowing about God to knowing God, who God is. And that is something big because especially in the Western culture, we can wear a, a he is greater than I shirt, a blessed shirt. Uh, we, we go and do some things that might be a little Christian where we identify with how our family identified growing up. But does that really make us people of God, a child of God? Does knowing God, knowing about God, make us Christians? And I think this is a real important question to ask, especially raising kids. I have to ask my kids all the time. You know, Jedi got baptized already. Mikai never got baptized. Isaac neither. But I have to let them know that your faith is your faith. God has to reveal himself to you. I cannot, I can take you there. I can lead you to the water, but it's up to you to give yourself to the Lord. It's up to you to surrender to him, to have that experience with him, to know truly who God is. Now, I don't know where everyone stands here in this room, but I want you to really take a moment and think about, do I know about God or do I know God? The most important question we can ask ourselves. Moving on to verse 12. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. 
Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death. Here we see that Rahab moves from innkeeper to intercessor, standing on behalf of her family. For her, just her to know God is not enough. She wants her family saved as well. And I know she's protecting them physically because she knows that Jericho is about to get wiped out. But I can guarantee you that she wants them to have a relationship with God as well. When, when I came to the Lord, I, my biggest concern was my family as well. My mom, my dad, my sisters. I wanted them to come to know the Lord, to make sure that we're all in heaven when it's all said and done. And I stood on this scripture in Acts 16.31. Uh, it says, Believe in the Lord Jesus, you will be saved, you and your household. Now again, I know that my faith is mine, their faith will have to be theirs, but I, I really stood upon that scripture that if I believe in the Lord, if I am living for the Lord, then my, my household will be saved as well. So I thought, yeah, you know, like I was pretty rotten and God... When I heard the message, the gospel, I gave my life to God. It wasn't that difficult. I didn't give uh, the church or anybody any problems. Like, I loved it. I was ready to receive the word of God. I think it's time for my dad and the mom to hear the gospel. Back then, I was living in Hilo, and I was a college student, so I didn't have much money. So I would call Collect to talk about the Lord and my dad. <laughs> for those young ones, you, you dialed a special number, or zero, and then you like to place a collect call. And then the person on the other end picks up the phone and says yes or no to that collect call. So my dad said yes initially. Then I started talking to him about God. And he went, poof. <laughs> then I kept calling and he kept hanging up. And I'm like, Dad, I don't have any money. And you can relay a quick message, you know. You can say, uh, the operator's like, who would you like to place a collect call to? I'm like, Dad, this is me, gents. I don't have any money. Hurry up. Answer the phone. Boom. <laughs> and he gets a message. You got to uh, collect call from, Dad, this is me, Jensen. Hurry up, answer the phone. I don't have much money. <laughs> Never called back. <laughs> so when I moved here to, to, um, back to Oahu to go to Bible college, I wanted to share the Lord with them because I was living with them now. And my dad would listen to me and shut me down. And it was really hard. My mom wanted to go to church, but my, she didn't want to go without my dad. And of course, as most, uh, sorry, boomers, uh, and most baby boomers uh, would argue back in the day is that they don't like the church because they're always asking for money. They're always asking for gifts. And got this guy that has, that ha always asking for money. He flies a nice jet, got the slick hair, the, the, the nice suit and all that. And my dad literally told me all these things. And I'm like, nah, Dad, no worries. They're not going to ask you for money. Just come to church with me. You know, I was going to Hope Chapel, Olomana, and our pastor is this big Hawaiian guy. We called him the Moke of Hope, Guy Capelliella. And in fact, they called him Moke Chapel because we had a lot of big Hawaiians there. And so I'm like, oh, Dad, you're going to love this guy. So he didn't want to come to church. Finally, one day, waking up, getting ready for service. I was a youth pastor there. I see him getting ready. I'm like, Oh, what you doing, Dad? He's all, oh, I'm getting ready for church. And I'm like, nah, come next week. And he's like, why? I'm like, oh, you don't want to go to church today. The Cowboys are playing today. 
You know, they're, they're going to play. He's like, no, no, God put it on my heart to come to church. I'm like, you don't even know God. How can you put it on your heart to go to church? He's like, you've been asking me all this time to come to church, and now you don't want me to come to church. Like, yeah, not today. Because Pastor Guy at Hope Chapel Olamana decided to do a series on church health, and that week was about collecting tithes and offerings. <laughs> it was about being a good steward of your money. Not even not anything else. That was it. That was the message. It was a 45-minute long tithes and offering message with the tithes and offering message after that. And I was like, oh, man. So he went. He drove me there. And I'm like, I'm talking to the pastor. I'm like, hey, guy, can you change the sermon today? <laughs> and he's like, why? I'm like, my dad's coming to church. He's like, oh, praise the Lord. I'm like, you're talking about money. And he doesn't like talking about money. He's, he's Hawaiian Chinese. He doesn't want to talk about money. And then he's all, oh, no worries. Where's your faith? I'm like, yeah, okay. <laughs> I said, it's a good thing you have big ushers then because he's going to storm out of this church when you guys, when, once you bring up money. So I gathered my youth group together. And all we did, I kid you not, was prayed for my dad the whole time. And we prayed for the ushers that nobody would get hurt because my dad's a pretty big guy. After service ended, I went to, I went to this, um, or after Sunday school ended, I went to service like, every usher was crying. I was like, oh, my God, what happened? And then there's people circling around my mom and dad and praying for them. Like, what happened? You know, like, where's the cops and all that? And pastor guy came up to me and he said, your dad got saved on a nice and message. <laughs> my mom and dad gave their lives to the Lord after an altar call on a tithes and offering message. In fact, they said, as soon as a pastor gave the altar call, my dad's hand went straight up and he grabbed my mom's hand too. <laughs> and they both gave themselves to the Lord that day. Those who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved, you and your household. Rahab had that same passion for her family to be saved. And... I believe that God answered that. And I believe that God will answer our prayers as we intercede on the behalf of our loved ones as well. And, and I know that we have stories, we all have stories of how people have come to the Lord just through planting seeds and acts of faithfulness and going to the church in the wrong message and all that. But God is faithful. And that increased my faith totally that day. And it was, it was an amazing time. Verse 14, our lives for your lives, the men assured her. If you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. So she set them down by a rope through the window, for the house she lived in was part of the city wall. She said to them, go to the hills so the pursuers will not find you. Hide yourselves there three days until they return and then go on your way. She lived in the city walls, and I, I think that's pretty profound because it was at the entrance of the gate of the city. So people would see whether or not men would enter her house, whether it was she, for a way station or, or uh, she, her as an Airbnb innkeeper or for other things. People knew that she had this certain status, and that's what it meant, the city in the wall. And from what I seen later on, um, 
we see that she goes from living in the city, the, the wall, in the city wall to being in the hall of faith in Hebrews chapter 11 for being in a place where it wasn't too favorable. It was looked down upon to, to the point where God will make it known that this lady Ahab, uh, Rahab spared the lives of spies so that she could, they could conquer Jericho and that she could preserve her and her family as well. Verse 17. Now the men said to her, this oath you made us swear will not be binding on us unless when we enter this land, you have tied this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. Unless you have brought, unless you have brought your father and mother, your brothers and all your family into your house. If any of them go outside your house into the street, their blood will be on their heads. We will not be responsible. As for those who are in the house with you, their blood will be on our head if, our, if a hand is laid on them. But if you tell what we are doing, we will be released from the oath you made us swear. Agreed, she replied. Let it be as you say. So she sent them away and she departed. And they tied the scarlet cord in the window. The scarlet cord, something ordinary, but something profound as well. A lifeline for, from her to the spies. And then in return, a lifeline from the people of Israel to her as well, to her and her family. And here she goes from harlot to hero. Isn't it amazing how God can turn things around for us? We sing that song, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. That word wretch from back in the day wasn't just something that we, they sang in a song. It was so deep and so strong that the composer was broken every time he uttered these words. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. The scarlet cord, a lifeline to someone else. Uh, reflection question, how can you extend a, scar a scarlet cord to someone? And then a follow-up, how was a scarlet cord extended to you? And just let me say, being Kimmy's husband and seeing things that go on at hugs, like I, you guys see te hear testimonies, you see pictures and videos, but your guys' cord, scarlet cord, reaching out to these communities, it's beyond what we see and hear here. I mean, the stories can go on forever. And we meet we meet with some of these families at times, and it's just every they break down and cry just by saying thank you, just for the smallest uh, gift. Um, and it means more to them because it's a cord of hope versus just the material things. So thank you guys for partnering alongside Hugs. But I want to encourage you guys to see how else you guys can help um, in our community. I know that we are a, a, a small community that makes a huge impact beyond these four walls. And I want to say mahalo because I see fruit already from these seeds that are planted. In 1996, a scarlet cord was extended to me. Um, I, know, I think I mentioned this story before, but when I was going through a lot here at a, as a teenager, and uh, on a Tuesday, my dad asked me, because I was getting into a lot of fights and trouble and dealing and all this kind of stuff. 
my dad asked me a direct question. Boy, what you going to do with your life? Because I had baseball scholarships and all that, and I just did not have any motivation. And I said, I gave the typical teen answer. <laughs> He's all, what you mean you don't know? <laughs> He's all, every time I ask you a question that's important, you say you don't know. How come? <laughs> then he's all, you better think about what you're going to do with your life. And I said, oh, okay, I'm going to move to Hilo. He's all, when? I'm all, Thursday. <laughs> Two days later, he's like, okay, here's your bags, go. He sent me to the Big Island. I had no idea what I was doing on the Big Island, but I knew that there's less trouble on, on the Big Island than there is in Hilo. And then my cousin said, oh, you should come with me to my youth group called Young Life. And then... I don't know if you heard of Young Life, but it's a, it's a ministry to teenagers and basically high schoolers. And then, so he's like, yeah. I said, oh, I think I'm too old. I'm 19 years old. I said, you got to be like 14 to 18. He's all, oh, don't worry. Nobody's going to notice. I'm like, you sure? He's like, yeah. So I go with them to Young Life. The first thing they do is, hey, want to say how, welcome to all the newcomers and what high school you go to? <laughs> and I was like, I looked at him. I'm like, dude. You said they're not going to say anything. He's like, oh, first time they asked that. <laughs> so they're going around in circles or ask, pointing out everybody, asking them what high school they go to. Remember earlier I asked you, when is it okay to lie? <laughs> I said, oh, I came here last week. So I answered that question. So I don't feel like answering it again. And so they let me stay. And so later on, they found out I was 19 years old. Too old, but I was having too much fun already. You know, and I, I love the messages. I love the worship. I love the fun that we had. And the leader said, you know, Jensen, we know that you're too old to be here. <laughs> and you probably don't want to go to a college ministry yet. Because you're pretty immature. And <laughs> But we're going to let you stay here. You can't be a leader. Definitely cannot be a leader. But you cannot be a student either. You got to be kind of in between. So you got to help us break up, uh, set up, break down. I'm like, oh, totally. So we did that. And his brother, who was my best friend later on in life, didn't like me at all. He told, he told the Young Life leader, he said, Jensen's a punk. He, he, you should hear what he says on the side when we're playing basketball and football and stuff like that. They're like, oh, don't worry. If you're a true Christian, you show him love. That guy's like, no, nah, I don't think I can. And I didn't like him either, so it was mutual. And so one day on uh, February 28th, 2000, oh, not even 1997, uh, he said, oh, God put it on my heart to take you to lunch. You want to go? I'm like, yep. He's all, where do you want to go? I said, oh, Cafe 100, Loco Moco. And so he took me there, and he fed me, and he gave me a Bible because he knew my birthday was going to be in a few days. And he said, I don't know why God is making me do this, but here's your Bible. Here's your local moco. And Jesus loves you. <laughs> From that moment on, we became such close friends. I found out later on, though, like a week later, someone asked me, hey, Scott took you out to, to lunch, yeah? I'm like, yeah. He's like, did you know it was his birthday? He took you out to lunch on his birthday. He gave you a Bible. He said, Jesus loves you on his birthday. <laughs> and it was that kind of love, that cord that was extended to me, knowing that he didn't like me, that he chose to love me. And at that moment, 
I knew that I wanted to give my life to the Lord because his love was genuine. He reached out to me and he was being real. And as I was typing this, my sermon out, I get a call from the Young Life director in Hilo. He's like, hey, Jensen, we have our 50-year anniversary of Young Life Ministries here in Hawaii. We're going to celebrate in a few weeks. He's all, I want to give you and your wife a ticket, the tickets to come in and, and celebrate. And I want you to bring your kids too and all that. And he sent me these pictures. Of, of I don't have them, but <laughs> I just kind of set you guys up for that. But he sent me these pictures and I look at that. I'm like, oh, man. Like, I look like someone who definitely needed Jesus at that moment. And if we play fantasy football together all the time, and he's like, yeah, you still need Jesus during fantasy football. <laughs> so moving on, uh, we see that in verse 22, when they left, they went into the hills and they stayed there for three days until the pursuers had searched all along the road and returned without finding them. Then the two men started back. They sent down of, of the hills, forded the river, and came to Joshua, son of Nun, and told him everything that had happened to them. They said to Joshua, The Lord has surely given us, given the whole land into our hands. All the people are, are melting with fear because of us. Fast forward to um, Joshua chapter 6, and it's a successful conquest on Joshua's part, as well as God's part in the heart of, uh, heart of Rahab. Through Joshua, God conquered the city of Jericho. That day that they got there, they had specific instructions. I know you guys know about it. Um, the last day they marched around, and for the six days leading up, they had to march quietly. And if there was Portuguese in that camp, guarantee that would not happen because somebody's going to have to say something during that time. Six days without talking. My kids can't even go six seconds without talking once we tell them to stop talking. And on the seventh day, I can't imagine them coming from a, if this was a Polynesian tribe, the last one, they're, they're waiting the whole six days to do this. They're doing the haka around the wall. And at the moment they all shout, they're all letting out a big chee And then the walls fall down. Except for Rahab and her family. God kept his word to them. God saved them. And through that, we see, as I said earlier, she's in the lineage of Christ. She's in the hall of faith. Through his grace and mercy, God conquered the heart of Rahab. God changes her narrative from innkeeper to intercessor, from harlot to hero. And she goes from the wall of the city to the hall of faith. Here at God's table, everyone is welcome. He desires to conquer all of our hearts with his grace and his mercy. Let us pray. Father, I thank you so much for your table and that in your word, it says that you prepare a table before us in the presence of our enemies, Lord. That you invite us as we are. We could be filthy from whatever we're doing, or we can be clean. It doesn't matter, Lord. You just want us to have this relationship with you. But we thank you, Lord, that, that we can come as we are. 
So, Lord, at this table of conquest, God, I pray that you would conquer all of our hearts, that you would conquer our fears and doubts, that you would conquer our challenges, that you would help us to be strong and courageous, that you would help us to extend cords of grace and of mercy to those around us, to those that we love and to those that we might have a difficult time loving. So God, at this table, we pray that you would share your word with us, share your heart with us, give us your eyes, help us to be your hand and your feet. We thank you that Joshua is just one example of success, Lord, one example of what you did through someone's life, Lord. And Rahab is one example of your grace and your mercy. Thank you that you can turn things around. We thank you that you love us unconditionally. We thank you that you empower us. We thank you that we are called yours. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.